This is Power Quest, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Power Quest is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology, with three techno experts: Eric Newman, hi; Wayne Chang, present; and Michael Swiss, yo yo. This week's episode, it looks good to me. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another Polar Quest number 73. My name is Eric Newman, and across from me is someone whose hair I can only see, Wayne. This is the longest time I've worked at something without being fired. Well, when you're not making any money, it's hard to fire you. That's true. It's hard. I don't know what to say, but it's glad glad to have you back as we continue the new series of shows without the former douchebags who were on it. And, of course, we have... No, we love them. And, uh, yeah, how, how, is your, how is everything going with you, Wayne? Um, we, have a, we have a very cold, cold New York City. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But how are you? I'm asking about you. I'm very cold due to it being a very cold, cold New York City. Oh, okay. Well, you're also sitting right it's next to a very my drafty... Mood. You're sitting right next to a very drafty window, too. I have a three-day weekend, though, so it's good. Oh, that's nice. And you can thank the good old chocolate milk, Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Reverend... I wouldn't refer to him as chocolate milk. As chocolate milk. <laughs> okay. Chocolate milk is a lot better. I think he's a human being. A lot better than vanilla ice. But moving on, of course... Uh, to our new contributor, a new person, a new douchebag to join our lovely corral, is the wonderful Michael Swiss. Hi, how are you? Good, happy to be here. Happy to be here. Welcome. You come all the way from Hoboken, New Jersey, crossing two rivers and and an island to get here. How was that? <laughs> Not too bad. The streets are pretty empty today. Oh, that's good. Yes, for the, the storm that we had, That by the time I woke up, it was a sunny day. And as the temperature is rapidly rapidly dra- uh, drafting dropping um so uh just a brief quick introduction uh who are you what do you do what's your story here so i am michael swiss i'm a qa engineer um, and what does a qa engineer do so like a sanitation engineer <laughs> i feel like those are two kind of they're related somewhat i, I like to view it as uh, i make automated tests to check people's homework for them automatically Okay, and the world of QA, and this episode is about QA quality assurance, that's something that's becoming more automated as time goes on, right? Yeah. As in, there might not be any manual QA in the future? You think? Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. I think it's a balance, but depends on the organization. Okay. I mean, there's there's very large swaths of, of web, de- uh, web design and web development that are being automated, like DevOps and stuff, so it makes sense, but I feel like you still need that, you still need some human looking at it to determine, okay, yeah, this actually looks good versus what everything the computers say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, and of course, one thing that we, one thing, one, uh, I guess, group we forgot to introduce is our wonderful studio audience. Why don't you give us a round of applause, everybody? Yes. Hi. We miss you guys. We keep them in a Tupperware container during the week, and we take them out on Sundays just for us, and it is actually a nice, it's a nice, cold, crisp Sunday that will be getting progressively colder as time goes on. I don't like that audience member that says woo. No? Why do people say woo at a event? They're happy when you don't like like happiness. Woo is not a natural reaction to being happy. Isn't it, though? I don't don't go woo. I go, all right. You go, (laughs) all right. 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 This is a very, I don't know, it's a very American sentiment, woo-hoo. Something that uh, they made, the National Lampoon made fire. Uh, I think you should fire that audience member. Just fire them. Get I don't want to. We don't need any woos in our cheers. 
Oh, okay. Well, uh, not well. You know how I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about how hard it is to find an audience that will listen to my pod, our podcast. But it's, uh, I, I think beggars can't. Oh, that's true. Can't be choosers. Uh, yeah, I, like I didn't know QA engineers ever worked out of Starbucks, but somehow found, found one. <laughs> It's amazing, funny. I didn't know they had them in Hoboken. Okay, this isn't this isn't uh, <laughs> this isn't open mic night, or is it? Here you go, Wayne. What's the deal with QA? I mean, you write the test, you write the poem. Doesn't it just work? Funny. <laughs> oh, um, show's been off the air for twenty years, yet the references haven't stopped. They still call me Newman. Like, like that's new. In fact, the other day, someone yelled, run, forest, run to me. And I was like, that's a 25-year-old joke. That joke is so old, it needs to be digitally remastered. <laughs> I blew it. <laughs> Let's try that again. <coughs> Take two. That joke is so old, it needs to be digitally remastered. <laughs> but seriously, folks. Okay. Um, we've had enough fun with the audience. Now, now let's go back to the wonderful world of coding. Uh, new year, new GitHub. GitHub, now a Microsoft product, is un- announcing unlimited free private repos, much like their competitor Bitbucket. Uh, and unified in a unified enterprise offering, uh, GitHub Enterprise is a new unified product for enterprise cloud and enterprise server. Organizations that want the flexibility to use GitHub in a cloud or self-hosted configuration can now access both at a one-per-seat price. Literally, about four weeks after I just moved all my private organization stuff to Bitbucket. Over Bitbucket. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. Why uh, why why didn't you use GitLab? GitLab. Does anyone use GitLab? Yeah, who uses that? People um, who were pissed off that Microsoft <laughs> bought Bit, uh, GitHub, I guess. GitLab has free Docker repositories and it has a whole CI pipeline. If you just forget that part where their database uh, engineers or their DevOps deleted their DB like <laughs> several years ago. I feel like I think I remember that. They deleted their production database in the morning. It was um, like better than a cup of coffee. There are a lot of features, though. And Yeah, unless they delete their database. Um, yeah. Oh, it's nice also because GitHub has been saying, has been yelling at me for the last year or so that my educational discount has, has expired. But now... I don't have to worry about it because I can go. I can get unlimited private repos, even though I have been using Bitbucket in the meantime. Uh, I like GitHub's interface, even though it looks less modern than the new Bitbucket, only because Atlassian does not know how to design interfaces properly. Oh yeah, Cheers. they try with between the new Git, uh, Bitbucket and, and the new Jira. They both look identical, but and they look very flat. They try to be minimalist, modern, but they just don't. And most of the time. The biggest offend- offense is that they're loading blank views before the data comes in rather than showing showing a loading GIF or a loading, uh, you know, uh, widget. So you think that, like, like, let's say you're reviewing a pull request on Bitbucket. It'll say, oh, there's no changes. Two, three, four, 500 commits. Where'd that come from? Well, that's because it loaded the view without loading the data or telling you that it was loading the data. Surprise. Surprise. They don't know how to use React properly. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, another sad thing is that uh, they keep adding more software developer jobs. By 2026, more than 253,000 new developer roles will be created. 
the most for any job in tech. And I believe by 2026, all the bottom will fall out of web development and all of those new jobs will be making $30,000 a year. What do you think? I mean, it depends on what those bottom jobs are doing. You, uh, Wayne? I've already disagreed with you on this. You, you keep saying it's being commoditized. And it's being people... commoditized. You can't have so many people go through these code schools, six, six weeks of, of learning Python, and now they're making a decent living. That's, and then they, but, the bottom falls out of them. Oh, the bottom will fall out on them. Like yeah. Anyone with real but knowledge what happens is and that, understanding but the thing is, still is that have a job. They have an edge on those, sorry, those people right now have an edge on the industry. The industry is going to adjust and it's going to adapt to having more, many, many more of them than there are of us. And so, as such, I really believe it'll be harder for people in our, in our group, the senior developers, to find jobs. They'll put one of us in front of 50 junior developers and say, all right, make it work with all the automation and everything else. I, I don't know if you've worked with junior developers, but they are not very good. They might delete things. Yeah, but Wayne, they also they don't need know, wait, wait, wait. They also it's, don't know how to architect things to be How much does it cost for them compa compared to a senior developer? As in, if you have to keep going through them like water, it's not going to be as expensive as hiring a senior developer that makes bad but very arrogant decisions. Well, I'm going to disagree. Yeah. I think when you have... Remember, I still said there's going to be a couple senior developers at the helm making sure, but they're going to... It's the hierarchy is going to be a couple, one or one to three of them are going to manage up to, I'd say, 100 junior developers, whether it's over, whether it's remotely or in person. But that's what you need, because at the end of the day, coding is still uh, labor. They're at, for how many senior engineers want to create another API... I mean, architecturally, they might be able to design one, but they need junior developers to actually flesh them out. Um, the art, if the architecture is there and a lot of things to prevent junior developers from hanging themselves is there, um, that's really all you need. Um, so then you're agreeing with me, aren't you? Well, well, I mean, we need a lot more labor. It's still, I don't right, know if you hire Because people. we need more labor, then that has to drive down the cost, because it, as, especially as the supply is also going up. The supply is... The demand is going up, the supply is going up, the cost has to go if down. If both supply and demand are going up, it's still at its uh, same ratio. I mean, you're going to have more demand than supply because it's still not easy to become a developer. It's not easy to become a, a good one. or And it's especially not easy to go through uh, the craziness that we call our programming interviews. Yes, I mean, uh, which very few of them are actually indicative of the job that you'll correct. be doing. But the, uh, so you now have like this fake SAT layer on top, right? Uh, that right. you have to study for. So how many people are how able does, to get through at the end of the day? How does currying differ from partial applications? Who cares? Oh man, you guys have that weird was asked to me processes. in an interview before. Yeah, that's why whenever and I interview people, I just give them a take-home assignment. That yeah, I've done and, those. Yeah. And the, the thing with the take-home assignments is they always, and maybe it's me because I believe in, in, in coding artisanally, uh, they always end up taking significantly, significantly longer than the uh, time that they say that it should take. And I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'm slow. And, and those are arguments for and against, right? So this senior developers... This four not, hours, so it took me a whole weekend. A senior developer, someone more experienced, they might be farther in their life. They might have children and things like that, and they may not have that's the time their problem. That's to why, do the take-home. That's why in China, you, yeah. they're not hiring people in tech companies who are over 30. Oh, wow. 
You didn't hear about that? No, no. I didn't. China High. We talked about this at an all, on an older pull request, but uh, hold on. Uh, under 30, because um, uh, we're old men. Uh, here we go. Uh, this is from May 1st of last year from uh, Bloomberg Bloomberg Week. Um, over 30, you're too old for tech jobs in China. And that's, I mean, that's basically it. Well, and they say, and the reason is exactly what you said, that they care about quality of life, that they might have families, that they might not be able to burn themselves out for 16 hours a day, every single day, working on an app that might not go anywhere for somebody else who might just fire them on a whim's notice. Well, maybe they also have an educational system that produces enough supply that it, it's okay for them to do that. But no, we, we well, definitely that, do but not. That's <laughs> what our educational system is, is moving towards, especially when you have these tech companies that are, have a little too close relationships, I'd say, with some universities that they heavily recruit from. And they're kind, they're kind of like they're creating, they're creating students that are future employees. So then the educational system ends up doing the job training that Google would have to do, that Google now doesn't have to do because, they're, because the educational system, which has been heavily influenced by these companies, is now producing already trained workers that then they get to don't have, then these giant companies don't have to invest in. There's a long, long history of companies doing that. Yes, it, we're going to go right <laughs> back to the Gilded Age. But, but I that, mean, they're making company towns, but, they have company currency, we're going all the way, company stores, are going all the way back to the early 20th century. That still means the rest of the supply is already taken. Like, there's a portion of the supply already taken by these big companies, and then the rest of the supply is for everyone else. There and, is. That's and, exactly but, what's but going there, on. But if there's a demand the supply, then there's still going to be demand for developers because everyone else needs it. Everyone who doesn't have access to capitalizing over Ivy Leagues. Uh, yeah, but it's the same. I mean, I think that it, 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 it's there's going to be another another notch or another tipping point that happens where people's expectations for quality work take another hit in that I spent a very long time making bespoke websites for people. Most of them were WordPress, my bread and butter for almost 10 years were WordPress websites that I designed from scratch. And the expectation that people had for a what a quality web website was, has significantly decreased over the last 10 years, even though as ironically the ability to create a, a, a powerful or beautiful website has significantly increased. People don't want it because they know it takes time. They know it takes money. They know it's going to have problems, and they could just use something out of the box that, that they can just get. And it's the Model T experience. And I've always been saying that I, w I, feel, like, I feel like the guy that, that made cars before Henry Ford, you know? Well, I, I think something like making a simple brochure website using WordPress is, is well, low no, level they work. Were usually they usually had some kind of content managing okay. in them. But WordPress yeah. is not a bad CMS. No, it's not. And I've used WordPress a bunch for making websites for some of my clients. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think now that it's easier, I think there's more complex things that can be done by software developers. But you have to have knowledge to do that. He, so He's telling you to get good at your job. I, I, it's not about uh, being uh, good. It's about the fact that you're not rewarded. For, you're not rewarded as much for being good. And what good is is not what it was. It, well, what good is definitely isn't what it's it like was. A, but you're still rewarded for being good. You'll always be rewarded for being I don't good. Yeah, I think so. If you're if you're among the best at your job, you know who else you'll was be good? Who was rewarded? Re oh, rewarded? Boy. Harvey Weinstein? No, <laughs> no, um, no. You know what? It sounds like it sounds like that. Uh, uh, where is it? Um, hold on, I don't have the computer plugged in. Um, crap. Uh, it sounds like that. Uh, uh, I I mean, if we want to bring up like there are game 
developers, right? They don't get paid nearly anything compared to yeah, what I went to normal, college with a lot of them. software engineers do. Yeah. And there's a level of expertise that is much higher. It uh, sounds it sounds like this. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. Yeah, it's called change. It keeps happening. No. You got to embrace it, man. right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. why I had to sell yeah. out to get health hey, insurance. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not you, making it, those WordPress websites anymore, but that's I mean, that's part of it. But I'm trying to I'm trying to ride the que- the crest of this wave that I see is coming. It's yeah. going to wash me out. Yeah, you got you just got to keep selling. You got to keep up and keep selling keep out. Keep selling out. Yeah. yeah. Just like when Ruby was huge. Um what's huge now? I I don't know. JavaScript. I've seen JavaScript. Yeah, JavaScript. Yeah. I've seen Go a lot. Uh I've I've heard of a couple people that still use uh, still use Roar. I, I still use Ruby. I love Ruby. Is it Ruby or Ruby on Rails? Well, Ruby on Rails is like the the framework. Yeah, the framework. It is the framework, but yeah. that's why I'm asking. It's a very different. Uh, you can't just you can't just gem install your way to a Ruby program, you know? Or can you? You might be able to. You might be able to. Depends what you want to do. I thought gem was part of the. <laughs> I guess gem is part it's of the Ruby. Libraries, yeah. It's not. A, it's not the. Uh, not just Rails. Okay. Um, let's move on. Um, <clears throat> Did you know uh, you came here from New Jersey, but you took the Lincoln Tunnel, right? Did you take I the did. Holland Tunnel. Either. In the Holland Tunnel, there is a super secure quantum cable that now that I said this, people will probably destroy. It's a fiber optic cable that harnesses the power of quantum mechanics to protect critical banking data from potential spies. The cable's trick is a technology called quantum key distribution, or QKD. Any half-decent intelligence agency can can physically tap normal fiber optics and intercept whatever messages the networks are carrying. They bend the cable with a small clamp, then use a specialized piece of hardware, like a prism, to split the beam of light that carries digital ones and zeros through the line. Like I said, like a prism. That's why the thing was called prism with the NSA. Uh, The people communicating have no way of knowing someone is eavesdropping because they're still getting their messages without any perceptible delay. Quantum key distribution solves this problem by taking advantage of quantum physics of the quantum physics notion that light, normally thought of as a wave, can also behave like a particle. For more, we go to Wayne Chang with some information. Wayne, what are you learning? I'm looking at this, and there's a more fundamental issue in this Bloomberg article that mentions uh, the Holland Tunnels doing this. It's the assumption that uh, our normal encryptions are are already compromised. So ah, actually, that's part of that's further down in the article. Why bother when most network traffic is already encrypted? Encryption is worthless if an attacker manages to get the digital keys used to encode and decode the messages. As in, the man in the middle attack is set up while the keys are being. I mean, it gets, but it's only public keys that are being transmitted. So they would have to get the. They would have to do some kind of brute force attacking. I don't know. Because the private the private keys aren't being transmitted over the wire. It, it's yeah. And maybe I, that's and maybe the public-private distinction is exactly what Bloomberg left out. I this isn't a really good description. I, so the quantum key distribution, it I I don't know what it is, but it, the way Bloomberg describes it, they're just describing how light works. Um, they're just saying that uh, light is particles at, at the quantum level, and that they are checking if that light that particular particle reaches the end point at a particular destination. That's not uh, quantum. I mean, it's quantum, but it doesn't mean you should name your company off of it or any type of technology after it. Um, 
Well, like, here's, here's what Wikipedia has to say, the book of knowledge. Quantum key distribution is a secure communication method which implements a cryptographic protocol, blah, blah, blah. It enables two parties to produce a shared random secret key known only to them, which then can be used to encrypt and decrypt messages. Okay, that's similar to public key cryptography. It is often incorrectly called quantum cryptography as it is the best known example of a quantum cryptographic task. An important and unique property of quantum key distribution is the ability of two communicating users to detect the presence of any third party by try, uh, trying to gain knowledge of the key. And that's the whole thing that we just talked about. That if the particle of light doesn't make it to the end, then, it's been, then the, the connection has been compromised. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, so, so, so it's more act, about integrity uh, of the of the, the, the act of measuring it uh, basically means it's been compromised. Um, that, that makes more sense that they name it quantum key distribution. And it's only uh, used to produce and distribute a key, not to transmit any message data. This key can then be used with any chosen encryption algorithm to encrypt and decrypt the message. Yeah. Initially, I thought they were using quantum in the respect like, hey, this is like light does this. And we're, so we're going to call this quantum. Like uh, for online gambling, um, they use random number generators that basically uh, work off of whether or not a photon uh bounces off a mirror, a passes through a mirror, or if it bounces off. And that's oh. because uh, it's a property of quantum mechanics. Uh, but they don't really, I mean, they just, they don't really try to market it that way because it's just a random number generator. They're Isn't just, that like what Cloudflare is? Somebody uses lava lamps? Yeah, Cloudflare uses lava lamps because there's a sufficient amount of entropy. To, yeah. Yeah, because if any random, I mean, for online poker, uh, they use other heuristics too. Uh, to make sure that as a good amount of How many times have you tried to cheat on online poker, Wayne? I've, in what sense? That you try to see the other cards that the people have or something? Um, I, I didn't, tr well, I. Or see what cards are coming I, I up try, in the deck? I try to get good instead of cheating. I'm not that kind of oh, person. Did you, did you, yeah, yeah. So uh, is, did you always play Hold'em? Uh, I did. No, did, I did, you, did you call it? Omaha. Okay, did you call it, uh, did you, did you call it work? Did you call it a game of skill and it wasn't luck? Uh, there's always a portion of luck. Are you? Do you have a gambling addiction? No. Uh, the reason <laughs> oh, yeah. why I asked... I may have had a gambling I... addiction. <laughs> <laughs> this was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, the, reason, the reason why I ask is because right after I graduated college, I lived, with, I lived in a, a giant house with like five other people. And one of them was my age, but he bought the house with online poker winnings. And he also went to Texas State Brazil like three times a week and had the cholesterol of a fifty-year-old. That's impressive. It is. But anyway, uh, so he would he set he got a new computer. He set it up right outside my bedroom and would take Adderall and stay up all night playing poker. And he would say, "Oh, I'm going to work." Like that's that's not exactly work. Well, the, yeah, the, there was a a very like a, a gold mine, just like finance. Before people started to understand the science <laughs> behind it, people how knew how it uh, works. You yeah, they knew exactly. Exactly, they knew how it works. That uh, there are statistics behind it um, that they were able to take advantage of because a lot of online poker was or poker itself was still. Hey, I'm gonna look him in the eyes. And I'm gonna know if he's bluffing me. And there's a lot more aspects to that. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's immediately removed in online poker, of course. Yeah. This is like uh, fantasy football. Right? Yeah, exactly. No, where people yeah. just didn't realize, like, oh, there's math and probabilities that we can apply to all this and, you know, make a ton of money because other people are just saying, like, oh, I'm going to bet with my gut. This guy's pretty good.
That's right, yeah. except that the U.S. now says that the Wire Act bars all Internet gambling that involves interstate transactions. Reversing its position from 2011 that only sports betting was prohibited under the law passed 50 years earlier. While the federal law specifically prohibited transmission of wagers and related information across state lines, the Justice, Justice Department's new interpretation, which I didn't think there was anybody running the Department of Justice right now and the government should shut down, there? yeah. No, 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 but I mean, like, even the, 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 the person... Oh, did they never fill the seat? I don't think they don't Yeah, know. I don't think they ever did. But somehow they're still working. Huh. The government shut down. There's no head of the Department of Justice, but yet they still managed to bar... <laughs> still managed to come up with a new rule that bars online gambling. So the casinos that are about to close in Atlantic City have a couple more weeks left. One of them, of course, is owned by our president. Anyway. Um, Good luck. The Taj Mahal. Good luck. <laughs> Good That's not what disruptive innovation is. How many of these stupid History Channel specials you have to watch when, when they go, and the beautiful thing about the 20th century was the genius group of inventors that disrupted the former cabal of, of Gilded Age idiots who controlled everybody. Like, okay, that's exactly what needs to happen again. And I don't know. Oh, it'll yeah. happen again. This is only, in 30 years. This no, is only going to be a problem, though, for... People not using cryptocurrency or well, people basically gambling, yeah. with companies that are U.S. based. Well, what like, about like DraftKings? And they're a right, big right, advertiser. Exactly. Just move your servers out of the U.S. Yeah, exactly. That's what most companies do. Federal law specifically prohibits the transmission of wagers and related information across state lines. If the servers are out of state, it doesn't matter because you're still transmitting your wager and related information across state lines. Does it make a difference? As far as I know, it's always been difficult to deposit money into online I'm, sites I'm just of the saying, US. that's yeah. the letter of the law. Yeah. Obviously, you can do with yeah. that what you will. It, banks have always denied it. So, like, online companies would do very shady things, set up uh, fake payment, you know, processors, right. and so to charge you. Um, but that's, you know, that's not something they can deal with. I understand that they're, this really just affects, like, these Gambling sites established in the U.S., if any, yeah. or, or whoever plays on the New Jersey poker site. It's interesting. <laughs> a coalition backed by billionaire con- uh, casino executive, who is it? Sheldon Adelson, lobbied the Justice Department in 2017 to reconsider its 2011 decision that basically killed his casinos. Uh, he's like 85 years that, old and funds a lot of the Republicans. In that Congress. makes sense. I mean, if you can't provide a good customer experience in Las Vegas... So people instead do online versions of whatever you're offering. Um, the best idea is to lobby so people can stop doing that. Okay, That's how about exactly this? exactly what Uber's doing. Right, but how about this? Uh, a, a, a mid-20th century Vegas fantasy camp where everyone is in suits and fedoras and stuff, and it's just like what Vegas used to be, which is why people go and what they still try to sell Vegas as now. But then when people, I haven't ever been to Las Vegas or Atlantic City, actually. But the thing is, is that I know that it's not, at least I know that it's not the Vegas of what it, what even it was in the 80s. And like, all I want to do is something that's not, that doesn't even exist anymore, is be an old grandma and, and play penny slots with a whole bucket or qu- of, of nickels or pennies. You want and just pump Vegas. them into a machine and pull a lever. Oh, I got a jackpot that's $50. Okay. And then move on. Like, that's all I want to do. That doesn't exist anymore because it's all on, it's all digital. And, the, and it's, ah, it doesn't make sense. You can get the same from playing a mobile game. Yeah, it's all it's digital. All, I want the, the lever. 
No, yeah. I want the, I want to hear the, the I want to hear the yeah. mechanical things moving. I want to hear it all yeah. click into place because I'm a still a 20th century the, person at the heart. Pro- the problem is that now you you've learned too much. And about you know, what? About computers. So you know that underneath there's some algorithm. I know that the digital ones had a faulty random number generator that was always that was allowing the house to win more than they should have. Yeah. Well, and yeah. that's existed for 30 years. But, but it's still right. I mean, it is regulated. In a sense that, yeah, but, it, but the slot machine sense. always like the USDA yeah. or the FDA is regulated. Anyway, uh, speaking of Uber, by the way, the biggest headlines of 2019 will come when they go public, unless they can't because the government is shut down. That's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how many people are holding their breath for Uber to, to go public, but kind of it's kind of funny. One of the other things I don't want to really talk about politics too much, other than the fact that they say one of the biggest consequences of the government shutdown is that microbreweries in Denver can't get their liquor permits approved. Okay, I don't care. You There's not enough beer. guys with beards in microbreweries in Denver already. Wasn't the Uber thing also about it, the status of independent contractors and what really constitutes well, they have independent contractors? Yeah. Uh. Oh yeah, in a case uh, in a case involving Courier Dynamax operations west, uh, California's high court ruled unanimously that the staff can't be considered contractors under state wage law unless they're quote doing work that is outside the usual course of their boss's business. Did they try to do this to prevent them from getting like health benefits or something? Yeah. So well, what does awful people? What this affects yeah. outside of even Uber and Lyft or um, other entertainment? So I watch wrestling uh, in the WWE. All wrestlers are independent contractors. For liability reasons, of course. Same thing with, I think, the UFC. So, and basically... So then they can't sue the, the when they get royally damaged yeah, in a fight. Right. And now the WWE, uh, I, I'm, both organizations generally do provide medical care for the purpose of not having this go to court like this is for Uber and right. Lyft and all the other places. Um, because it has really big implications because if you have to cover them, obviously all this other, uh, it hurts their public earnings. Um, mm. but uh, there's a, yeah, this is a big, this is a big issue. It It is. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know what to say other than the fact that, uh, you think Uber should cover the health insurance of the driver? No, I think that, I mean, it's fine if they're, uh, if, well, it it, de- it depends on uh, the drivers. I they I could con- I could understand them being considered a contractor, but if they're talking about like all their developers what? or people who work for them full time that are you know quote unquote full time. No, that's not what they're talking about. That's talk- talking oh, about, about the, the drivers. drivers. Yes, the drivers. I, I think that given the the amount of freedom that the drivers have in terms of how they operate and the liability that they impose on the company, it, it it's not too crazy to suggest that they would be independent contractors. Well, well, what if what if they have oh, five man. stars, though. What? You don't like that? What if they have five stars? Should they a, get some health insurance? You don't get a insurance? W-2 from this. What, what, what if they do five stars? Your, the, I think your... the drivers already get a rough take. So Uber doesn't pay. Uh, okay, for... wait, wait. When, when, when someone's a taxi cab yeah. driver, are they, are they a full-timer owned by the taxi cab authority? Well, or There's they... already a weird monopoly going on with the medallions. The, so. Yes, but that's, not the, but that's not the question I'm asking. The question is, if you're a taxi cab driver, are you a full-time employee of... Whatever taxi company, or are you an independent contractor that's a work, that's doing work for hire in a car that you don't own, it, paying yeah, off a medallion that you would have to buy? Now you're comparing Uber with another uh, it's, organization. It's another it's, type it's, of. It's a it's, similar. It's a similar it's a, work. It's a similar role, oh, yeah, right? No, because but that's Uber's what done. this clarification of the law would cover, right? So if 
they establish that no, they're not actually contractors; they're full-time employees. That affects everyone. But then that would have yeah. to that would have to make well, sure that all of them are are, are yeah. driving forty hours a week. Yeah, so how do you dri- do that? If you're driving forty hours a week, then you get the, you know, then you get the coverage. Do you think yeah. a full forty-hour driver should get health insurance? Yeah, what, what, I do. How many stars? Do you think is the bar? <laughs> is the cut? No, if they're under four stars, that's yeah, it. They four, get cut. Under, oh, under four stars? Yeah. That's a pretty big, like, I, I, I rarely see four. I, I assume they get kicked off already. I rarely see drivers under, like, 4.5 oh. or something like that, unless they're really new. I don't know. But, okay, the qu- all right, how about this? Oh, you you don't can't a- control. Uber can't control how the drivers drive. Why should Uber, if the driver is an aggressive driver that drives illegally, why should Uber be held responsible for their, for the driver's decision to drive in a manner that put himself or themselves and their passengers at risk when, yes, they're driving 40 hours a week, it could be like a madman. They could use some data. They yeah. have those OB2, OBD2 uh, sensors that you okay. can plug in. And they say that you were going over the speed limits uh, and were canceling your health insurance? Well, that, that's up to them, right? I mean, but my, but my wife was going to have surgery next week, and it's the end of the month, and how I didn't know this was going to happen. That's, it's, that's the next step in the slippery slope. Well, they're it, hiring the drivers. Is. You can send yeah. a metric, right? Uh, it's just like people constantly say old people should get retested. Um the bar being, if you want to work for this company, you have to take, you have to buy by our standards, right? Yeah, truck drivers have that. Your car should right on the back but of their car. Do truck drivers get health insurance? Your car should Pretty smell sure they good. Do. Then that's then okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, I'm I'm trying to be reasonable. I'm just saying, like, you can't just have you can't the the. I think the whole scenario is is too loose. Oh yeah, I totally agree, and I I think it's a uh, it's a little strange that Uber is like. A, uh, a an oversight over getting a cab everywhere now, and I think at some point that'll change. What do you mean? It's an oversight over. Uh, now you go to another state, another country, you just pop open Uber. Uber. Yeah. On the West Which, Coast, Lyft is more popular yeah. because well, they yeah. like to so, protest the uh, do, the toxic masculinity of the staff at Uber. So I, for a while, I think it was Houston had their own. Houston. Yeah, they had their own uh, taxi ride ride sharing app, but you had to know about it. There's so, one in New York. Is there? I think it's called did, Curb. Did you just call the Houston and Texas Houston? Yeah. yeah That's a very did. newer thing. Of course. I want I want the someone to, I want someone to, to correct me. Yeah, <laughs> I just corrected you. Yeah, but I wasn't expecting I, you. Yeah, I know. I'm from here. Uh, no, I, I know. I That's why I, was, I wanted to. I wanted to talk to somebody from Texas. Uh, oh yeah, I went down to Houston, every, Texas. No. And, hey, it's called Houston. Yeah, I don't. Give That's a, some weird ironic thing. No. Uh. uh I, I wanted. I mean, obviously, well, I, wouldn't, they, they, I wouldn't call it Houston in Texas uh, because they all have yeah. guns. So. Well, they they are doing what <laughs> what you nice want. They're, they're they're being more specific with their definition of independent contractor. It's just not the way you wanted it to be <laughs> specified. Well, I guess that's fine then. All right. Well, let's move on because we have spent a lot of time uh, talking about not uh, what our main topic well, is. Well, I care about my wrestlers. That's why. Yeah. No, I that's really... fine. Okay. Well, speaking about that, uh, did you know that at uh, Cesspool CES this year? Uh, which was a couple of weeks ago. Um, there's a new startup that has an AI algorithm. Of course, it's AI, ML, computer vision, whatever that you want to call it, um, to track if you're sharing your password with other people. A password for Netflix or HBO Go can be a precious thing. But at CES this year, there's a new firm that unveiled a service that uses machine learning to spot shared passwords. It works like this. A stream... You know what? Let me... Uh, here's my... Uh Try to make this a little. Try to make this a little more interesting. 
It works like this. A streaming service buys access to Cinemedia's platform, which analyzes data from all its users. It looks at a range of factors, like where an account is being accessed from, what time it's used, what content is being watched by what device, and so on. It looks for patterns that indicate a shared password and gives the service provider a probability score, which is a guess at how certain the system is that it's found an infringer. Quote, a typical pattern you would see is a subscriber that's simultaneously watching content on the East and West Coast of the U.S. Cinemedia CTO Jean-Marc Racine tells The Verge, that's unlikely to be the same person. After that, the service provider can choose what to do. If the sharing pattern is extreme, indicating that the credentials have been sold online to multiple users, for example, they can just shut down the account. But if it's something a little more harmless, maybe a password shared between a family, they might just send a nudge over email suggesting they upgrade to a premium account. Quote, the approach that people tend to be not too punitive oh, the approach is that people tend to not be too punitive about it. They use they upsell services instead. They they should really say shared account instead of share password because share password implies something much scarier that this company is saying, "Hey, video sites deploy like our JavaScript. We're gonna ch- we're gonna check and store." <laughs> That's your that possibly what they're doing. Um, not oh, we're gonna look for these kinds of behavior so to to see if your account is being shared. Um, passwords are really bad word to use because that seemed really scary. No, but it is second. like if you're not doing, um, if you're not, if you don't have profiles or something like that, you know. Oh man, this is acting up again. Look, look, when I fade it up, the mixer. Look, it's gonna pot it back down. No, ooh, no. There's something's something's going on. I, I really hope this isn't another one of those weeks where everything is at max volume because it didn't record the automation <laughs> track and I have to try to pot it in manually, which which takes... I mean, you basically have to listen to the show with this and, like, fading it in and out as I'm doing it. It's a lot easier for me to do it as we're doing the show than it is for me to listen to it and try to remember what was in my mind. Uh, the terrors of podcasting. It's hard out here. Tell me about it. Anyway. So I think Wayne was just worried that they're storing passwords in plain text and JavaScript? No, it's that people are sharing <laughs> passwords because if they don't have multi-user profiles, and that's what they're doing. Well, well it's not about sharing. I mean, they share yes. the accounts. Yeah, they're going to do they this. Share the, the, the companies aren't storing these passwords. Yeah. It's the people who have the, you have Hulu, you want to share it with your sister, then okay, here's my password. That's what they're talking about. They're not talking about Hulu's storing your password. Yeah, it's like $13 a month. Man, yeah. that's expensive. I know. I know. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> it is, and I, I and I actually I keep forgetting that I pay for it until it renews, and it's like, well, now it's a whole other month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I can't get rid of it now. But we, we all knew it was heading this way, right? Like uh, Walmart's uh, experimenting with a streaming service. Yeah. All of the all of the big companies are experimenting with their own streaming services and taking things off Netflix while things like this are happening. Uh, how many services do you pay for, Eric? That I I actually pay for? Yeah. Uh, you, you have oh, a Hulu hold on, account? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna say f- three, and one of them is free. Sorry, so that's four. What, what about you, Michael? Well, I'll tell you what they are. Two. So you, wait, wait, because Amazon is not really paid for. That comes free with Prime. Okay. Netflix, I pay for. HBO Go, or sorry, HBO Now, because I don't have a television, and Hulu. Yeah. Okay. Four. Yeah. So I'm Google Play for music. Uh, what the fuck? Yeah, no Spotify up in here. <laughs> although, although it did just 
they did just uh, bounce me from having YouTube Premium, which is infuriating when you've gone from no ads ever to just add four ads a video. And I want all break the same ads every yeah. break. Yeah, oh, it's it's the. Did worst. I give you my spiel about how I was watching like the History Channel, and on every break, it had it had the same ad for Verizon FiOS with that kid with a lisp. So he couldn't say. So he kept saying Verizon FiOS. It's the best streaming service from the internet. Get Verizon from because it's driving me insane. Is it the one with him talking in front of Santa Claus? He no, it's it's him in a it, it's him like in his doing yard work at his parents' house in suburbia. Apparently, he's a talented actor, and I'm being really yeah horrible. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're it's horrible. a kid from Stranger Things. Yeah. Well, you know what? Good, Here's what I'll say. Good if for you, Verizon. If, if you good have a speech kid. impediment, if you have a speech impediment, I, I will say this: Don't put yourself in a position that makes you say a lot of things that expose exactly what the impediment is. RSTL. Don't say a lot of that. If you can't say S's, don't say Verizon Fire streaming service. Like you can't. Uh, you can't. Well, I'm sorry. Di- I'm gonna disagree with you. That kid's getting paid. Yeah, he's getting paid. That's horrible. I disagree I with you. People's expectations. For I disagree quality. with you because my girlfriend. Expectations for quality. My are girlfriend tanking. told me I have a speech impediment. She said I sound stupid. And <laughs> I said, oh. So so I really sympathize with this individual. You don't have a lisp, Wayne. I don't have a list, but I, well, I, I sound I, I, stupid, no, so I have another you know impediment. What, you know what your problem is? Yeah, what? I've, I know quite a few people with your problem. You are stupid. No. Uh, <laughs> no, no. The, what, what, happens, what happens is your brain is operating so much faster than your mouth that you end up, like, dropping packets in the, in the, in the system that connects you, that's, like, your output. It's not UDP. So, so, so what? No, it is UDP because they're not being reset. Oh, yeah. So, so, so you're just like kind of talking in these like almost like words or kind of sentences. But like we get the idea, but you're thinking so much faster than you're able to possibly even humanly talk. I'm not saying anything about you. I'm just saying oh, like you're, you're thinking faster yeah, you're than, you, than humans are able to to yeah. to, to to articulate. Uh, that results in you kind of having that kind of jolty conversation style. You're not the only, and and it's and it's very prevalent amongst talented engineers. Really, I, I agreed with her though because of all the lead I ate as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, then that's a different story. Yeah. Okay, uh, and then the power lines you lived under in the Bronx, right? That's not a yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. I know your hair glows in the dark. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, moving on, uh, talked about the wire act. We talked about, uh, Uber. We talked about, why don't we take a right turn into some local news with our, not that, sorry. <laughs> well, let's uh, take two. <coughs> let's take a right turn into some local news with our New York Minute. Where we take a look at your five boroughs. First up, our governor, Andrew Cuomo, somehow keeps butting his head in with this L-Train stuff as other studies come out to debunk what he's saying. What do you guys think? I'm shocked that a politician who might be running for president. Who's going to run for president? Because they talk about this expansive alkali silica reaction. ASR is a something that happens when they have to chip away at the concrete in the tunnel lining. And this is all about how the L train is going to shut down in April. How they have to repair the Canarsie Tunnel, which is the tunnel that connects uh, Bedford Avenue to First Avenue, uh, of Williamsburg to the East Village. And... Uh, so many uh, Williamsburg babies and Bushwick babies like myself have to use that tunnel every day, even though it's over 100 years old. 
It got heavily damaged during Hurricane Sandy, and they've been fixing it up with duct tape and tissue paper ever since. As a result, they, they knew that the day was coming where they had to close the tunnel to actually fix it for real, and our governor swooped in at the last minute because it was supposed to be closing in a couple months now for real, for 18 months. Uh, he said, actually, I spoke to Elon, and we can keep it open. Um, but then they mentioned this expansive alkal alkali, yeah, al yeah, alkali silica reaction, uh, which basically is like mesothelioma. So they had to get a an air filter that they, the time said was the size of a football field, and then they pumped that air into a positive pressure cavity inside of the tunnel while the workers are wearing respirators. That's the what they have to do to try to mitigate this expansive al alkali silica reaction. And somehow Cuomo reads all of that and says, you know, we can, we can probably keep the tunnel up for all time. Maybe just nights and weekends we can close it. No! Seal it off, fill up, vacuum it out, suck it all. I don't care what you have to do. I don't wanna have to I don't wanna have to read I don't wanna have to listen to a commercial in twenty years that are just like did you, ah, that, that's just like, did you ride the L train between October, April of 2019 and, and January of 2021? You may be eligible for a legal settlement. That's right. Mesothelia, you may have inhaled dust from the Canarsie Tunnel while it was being constructed. I'm Call sure. the offices of James Sokolov. Sorry, what? I'm a non-lawyer spokesperson. I'm pretty sure any subway you go into at this point is going to have something like black mold in it. That's not great for your lungs. There's a difference between, like, the black mold because the subway stations have been deteriorating and this kind of... This is a very conscious decision that they're making of there's a severe issue. We need... We probably should close the tunnel, but I want to run for president after I get out of office, and it's not going to look very good if I if this doesn't... If I don't become a superhero. What do you think, Wayne? You're no stranger to New York politics as a real New Yorker. Um, I'm... I mean... I'm already going to die Were you, in when 10 did, years. When was uh, Mario Cuomo governor? His father, Andy's oh, father. Oh, when I... I think I was in fourth or fifth grade. And then I, I just remembered because some guy said, some little kid, we were asked about our political opinions because we had them sufficiently developed when we were in fourth or fifth grade. And and one kid went, uh, uh, Mar Mario Cuomo is uh, the best. I, I think he's going to be a good mayor. And then the teacher said, well, why do you think that? And then he went, uh, because, because my dad said so. <laughs> and so I just remember he was a mayor. Governor. A governor. Whatever. I don't really care. He was the governor from 1983 to 1994. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really. I was still. Paying attention. I, I was, yeah, I was, I was still a little kid. I was still playing video games. I mean, I care that his. Still play video games now. What are you I care about? now that his progeny. <laughs> It is uh, doing this BS. Yeah. Um, well. And but uh, there there is a like um, there is a helplessness that a lot of New Yorkers have because it is to get involved in any type of these politics. It's in itself a very masochistic activity. Have you ever shown up to a community board or any of these MTA hearings? It's like no, it's insane. It, it is like a nightmare and. Um, as someone who values his own time, it feels like a complete waste of time. Really? Um, can, you, did there, is there, can you at least ask a question to important people at those meetings? Uh, it, I mean, are those important people there? That's going to be one. And then 
Uh, two, remember, we, we had all these meetings for the past several years about the L train shutdown. Right. And at the end of the day, what is happening? So, some higher up has made the call to so seemingly ignore everything. Everything. Uh, while also speaking out of the other side of his mouth, saying, right. I don't know who runs the MTA, but right. it's not me, even though the governor runs the MTA, it's, but it's so not why, me why, the governor. If I did care why did i bother and especially let's say i did care about my health and that's why i showed up to all these meetings um now that's being overridden regardless of what i do i have no power in this situation anyway um yeah that's really depressing but it is uh, depressing. Yeah. um yes thanks thanks <laughs> governor cuomo we really uh, thank we you. voted you in glad you won re-election because Two times in a row. people don't vote in this yep People still great. don't vote for mayor. They don't oh, vote great. for governor. Yep. Versus uh, our stupid governor. Se sex gonna... in the city lady. And then right. the time before, uh, Zephyr Teachout. Zephyr Teachout. They, yeah. just prevent, they just pretended she didn't exist. And that really worked somehow. <laughs> they, they just like, uh, I don't think this is a person. They just roll over her. Yeah, with his that's name. not a real name. It's not a uh, name. You're not really competing. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, excessive anchor bolt penetrations. That's not a euphemism for installing critical cables. Again, not a euphemism. May damage the concrete lining and induce leakages. Not a euphemism, according to a report by the Transit AZ Agency and Parsons uh, Brickerhoff, an engineering consultant now known as WSP, that is the leading, leading, that is leading planning for Mr. Cuomo's alternate plan. Yeah, so they were going to nail in wires into the tunnel, is that right? Right, right. What, what they were going to do is they were going to cement the wires in, or like concrete the wires into the tunnel itself so it can't be damaged. But now they're just going to use we'll a just hang them on the tunnel walls, which are 100 years old. Yeah, and, and that's they, not going to. Now they're going to do a, put a rack and that somehow solves everything. Right, and then drilling I mean, into that tunnel is going to release that toxic silica yeah, dust. I, like, I have. Who knows? But it's probably not the right decision. It's not the right decision, but um, the MTA only makes bad decisions. Yeah. So. Well, we, we know one decision had a lot of thought put into it, and then we know the other thought, uh, other decision was this. The other decision, <laughs> no, there was a lot of thought put <laughs> into this, but it was about two, a presidential two, campaign. Ago. It wasn't about actually helping New Yorkers. That's true. Because, you know, the story that he tells is, I, I wasn't really too vested into it until one, one local businessman in Brooklyn came up to me and said, what are you going to do? My business is going to close if this L train shuts down. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Mr. Governor? What are you going to do? As he's poking him on the chest. And he poked me on the chest. And I looked at him and I, and I said, I, you know, it's really tough because I don't run the MTA, even though the governor of New York runs the MTA. Uh, and he's like, will you give me your word that you'll do something to fix it? And he said, you know, I will give you my word because you are a valued New York voter and I'm a valued, I'm a valuable New York governor who may run for president next time. So, yes. And then he, and then a week later, he spends an hour in the tunnel with two deans of engineering that haven't worked in the field in a long time. And he comes up with this decision. I, I mean, I'd rather it had been more transparent. That's as let, transparent yeah, as it, that's uh, what happened, man. Yeah. And that's as transparent yeah, I mean, as it gets. Let, let me vote. They let me the, vote. The, if times, I... the time said they spent one hour. Yeah, let in me vote tunnel. if that if seems I, like enough time. Just tell me. Just tell me. Would you rather have the L train shut down, or do you want to breathe in the silica dust? You might die like ten years earlier, but at least I got to vote to die earlier. That's that's it makes that's me feel bad. better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's certainly depressing. How are things in New Jersey? Oh well, we have the. That's great. Okay, this is the New York minute. So <laughs> why don't we move on?
It's not the. Uh, it's uh, not the. It's not the New Jersey minute. It's not the New Jersey. Uh, our tunnels are about something. to collapse anyway. Yeah. Well, oh, you, you have the you, same you guys, issue. Yeah, you, we have the same issues. Yeah. Uh, what is it? The uh, is it just the Hudson too? Uh, Holland, Holland uh, and Lincoln. Yeah. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, uh, the rail tunnels that go under Bergen yeah. Hill that the Amtrak go that Amtrak goes through Amtrak, in New Jersey yeah. Transit that have been around since like 1911 yeah. that uh, trains keep getting stuck in. Yeah, because the tracks are all yeah, and, all the, and the tunnels are corro- and the yep. and the tunnels are corroded. The yeah. same issue. It's the same. It's the same issue. It's just so stop you know, coming to New York. It's just not, stay on your side it's of the not river. The same and issue. You know what? A lot more companies are going over. It's there not the say. same issue. You guys deserve it because you're from New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, that's true. At the end of the day, it's all infrastructure <laughs> hasn't been been paid for. Yeah. Like it should. Well, be. at least New Jersey has a law that makes it balance the, its budget. <laughs> Whatever you know that means. Um, okay. Yeah. New York City is a second-class citizen, so we don't really have a choice. What? We're second-class citizen. What do you mean we're second-class? Uh, we, we we report to New York State. No, but they're not. I mean, kind of, but not really. They, they control our budget. Yeah, but yeah, but Cuomo has an office in Midtown, and and yeah. and just pops in. And he's, I, I doubt he's ever there. He was there when he talked about the L train not shutting oh, down. Oh, great, great. <laughs> One out of three sixty-five. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I mean, he has the rest of the state. That the, I'm sure every time he leaves New York City, the rest of the people go, ah, you know, there's more to the state than just the city. Yeah, they go. Remember us up here in Putnam County, up here, up here near Utica, up here in Rockland County. Remember us, Mr. Governor? Yeah. What are you going to do? You replaced the Tappan Sea Bridge. You called it after your father. What else are you going to do? Yeah, in Buffalo, they're probably complaining about those illegal Canadians always <laughs> coming over the damn border. <laughs> Taking jobs. <laughs> Took my job. Okay. Um, or they're trying to escape <laughs> into Canada. Uh, why don't we uh, move on with... Where is it? I am all out of sorts this week. Um, let's... What happened to the next story that I was going to read because somehow it fell out of order until I can figure it out. Because it's time for our Apple Attack, where we take a nice little poop on Apple. First up, be careful with that new EKG app on your Apple Watch, warns a doctor. Many hypochondriacs like myself might actually use that EKG app and think that they're about to die. Don't. If you're one of those people, this is not real medical advice. I am a non-doctor spokesperson. I'm just a Jewish guy. There's a lot of Jewish health anxiety and hypochondria. I'm telling you, just don't download the app. You're probably going to be fine. Don't sue me, but I've misread EKG charts before and thought I was going to die and then saw a cardiologist and he said to calm the F down because anxiety is really bad for you. So, don't... <laughs> don't. If you don't know how to read an EKG, don't do it. And I- including if the EKG printout says something on it like if the computer if you get a really kg done and it's like you might be dying i i, I said what happens about that and the doctor goes oh the, there was an overread by the machine don't worry about it that's why you still have us doctors i'm like okay are you sure i'm not gonna have you guys in like five more years and that's uh don't do it that's the easiest thing i can that's the best advice i can give there's a ton of other fine print about how you can do it and the best ways of taking your own EKGs, but just just don't because you, look, if you have a heart attack, you're not going to be able to walk to the doctor's office anyway. So 
take that take that what you will take with that what you will uh speaking of apple watches apple is in talks with private medicare plans about bringing its watch to at-risk seniors so rather than the uh the old i've fallen and i can't get up life alert now you'll have an apple watch which will show you where the ambulance is in google maps on apple maps sorry in real time how's that um did old people not i use an apple watch they can't pair to the iTunes, but I'm gonna die! Uh, uh, Isn't Lifeline just a button? It is a button. Yeah. Life alert. Life Have you alert. fallen and you can't get up? Help! I'm about to die! You might need this button. Life alert. Unfortunately, that's too easy and simple, so Apple wants to sell Medicare, the Apple Watch, at $279 a pop. Well, people have money, so... Well, no, the government's going to pay for it. Oh, mm. oh yes. even better. Insurance Ex covers it. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know what the insurance isn't covering? My asthma inhaler. But that's, <laughs> that's the truth. Uh, insurance is not real. Uh, let's see. Uh, moving on. Uh, Apple has uh, been outed as United Airlines' biggest customer in a hilarious way because it basically says that Apple spends over $100 million a year in airfares shipping people to China and back. What do you guys think? What? Anyone? Bueller? What? Bueller? Are they running a... a, a a United, shop trade? United, What's going on here? United, well, what do you mean they're... they're United Airlines people? had this poster. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, it says, Our largest global account. Our total annual revenue is Apple. 150 million US dollars. Most important market for Apple, SFO to PVG. Our number one market for Apple, 35 million in annual revenue, 25% of annual spending, 50 business class seats daily. PVG airport is... Shanghai. Is Apple having employees just commute from cities back and forth every day? I, I mean, I mean, Apple has that many people commuting to their campus from Shanghai every day. So I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. And the other companies were equally big, or sorry, they were, they were, they were, they were may not, might not be equally big. They're also quite large. But uh, Facebook, Roche. I don't know if that's Roche Baba or not. Google are over $34 million. $12 million to $17 million are Delot, McKinsey & Company, Cisco, Applied Materials, PwC, Oracle. Over $10 million is Intel, Visa, and Chevron. But Apple beats them all combined with $150 million spent on United Airlines tickets shuttling people from Shanghai to San Francisco. And Apple did not want that printed out anywhere, so they asked them to take it down. And they did. Yes. Uh... And there's always more Apple stuff to complain about, but I don't know. That's a, that's a weird one. I Is mean, I, I can only assume that they're, they're trading sweatshop children. <laughs> there, there's something exchange, going on. Exchange, exchange. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of oversight that they need. Yeah, there, yeah. there's something going on. Interesting. Yeah, it's called uh, they're training the, the Chinese kids on how to make the new well, iPad. Yeah, well, they got to make it cheaper since it's so expensive. I, I wish I got to take free flights as a kid. Uh, that's... That's not fair. Where's what's what going? if the flight ended in a place where you couldn't breathe? What? I, I live in New York City, isn't it? Yeah, already? No, like, that's true. I, uh, um, Apple and Qualcomm are still duking it out. In fact, that the new uh, iPhones aren't using Qualcomm chips; they're using Intel LTE chips. 
uh, which might explain why they're not performing as well as the previous model, even though there's another article that says that the next year's iPhones, this in 2019's iPhones, will be even better. I don't know why. Uh, in fact, Apple had to take iPhones 7 and 8 off of their retail stores, or out of their retail stores or websites in Germany uh, because of this Qualcomm issue. Yeah. I've seen so many articles saying that people just aren't buying the new iPhones and are sticking with their old ones. I mean, yeah. Or they, trying to buy the old ones. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the maturity, the product maturity or the, pack, the fact that these phones still work and that Apple create, or had a free battery replacement program or relatively free battery replacement program it's leading people to keep their phones leading Apple to lose more money because they forgot that they can't keep just churning out these phones and people are going to be rushing to buy them every year, every year forever. Well yeah, when your your new big tech innovation is that you have a emoji with your face on it saying things like Yeah, but that emoji could be a dog oh, or crazy. a cat. Yeah. You know, they still only have one color cat. With all the different emoji, all the new ad emoji, all the different... They have, they've got women going like this, but they only have one color cat. What's the deal? I'll spend twelve to $1,500 on a phone when it can replace my laptop. There you go. There you go. Um, let's see. Uh, I think that's it. And so that's been our Apple Attack. Yeah. I would pay twelve to fifteen hundred dollars for a device that would make me believe I didn't pay fifteen hundred dollars for the device. There's some kind of electric zap to your brain. Yeah, interesting. Uh, why don't we? Uh, hold on one second. You know, I this is why I have to pull these tabs up in order because I can't even look at them out of order, which is terrible. Even though they're like already on my screen, the fact that they're just not in order, it's just like it's not. Just totally messes me up. Sorry, we have to do these shows every week. Um, okay. Uh, there's a segment, Michael, that we, uh, Mike, Michael, Mike, Mikey, Michael, whatever you want to call me. What do you want to call Mike? This uh, segment that we love doing called, um, but this week it's actually, well, it is. She's actively murdering the internet. And uh, she narrowly survived a no-confidence vote this week. Um, and uh, she put together a really lousy deal for Brexit, but we're not really going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about is how a Brexit war is, ra- is raging in secret what WhatsApp groups as Commonwealth and Five Eyes governments try to make this type of conversation or communication illegal as an end-to-end encrypted to the point where the governments can't figure out what's going on. A lot of people are complaining about Ms. May in these very apps that she wants to ban. Um, and that's basically it leaking, uh, and, then, and then leaks have come out from these WhatsApp groups. Uh, leaking from WhatsApp app groups reached a peak when May's checkers proposals were revealed as MPs' divisions over Brexit increased. Some staffers were so surprised at how quickly details of the Tory Westminster staffers' chat leaked to journalists that they thought that they sought out the phone numbers of certain journalists in order to ensure they had not mistakenly been added to it. In order to prevent leaks from the groups, the People's Vote campaign now has dozens of separate group chats preventing wide-scale leaking as suffered by the anti-deal campaigners. This, ex- this extended to ensuring that the high-significance high chats appear as inconspicuous as possible. A group of key people... A, a group of key People's Vote MPs, many of whom who have not yet broken, well, whatever. Basically, 
there's a, bl a bunch of secret chats, uh, a bunch of secret chats that are happening in WhatsApp that are anti-government, and uh, it's kind of ironic given the fact that Miss May wants to get rid of it, but the, Brit the British people might get rid of her. And also, they're probably not going to Brexit. It seems like no matter what they say, things still got leaked because you couldn't encrypt a person. You can't encrypt a person. Not yet. Uh, unless you kidnap them and keep them in your basement forever. Oh. Silence of the lambs. After that's, that's they made privacy. a message. Yeah. Um, on the heels of that, India's telecommunications regulator have asked for feedback on new rules that, in the name of national security, of course, I'm sure they're going to rope its crowbar in helping the children, could force over-the-top OTT services such as WhatsApp to use mobile operators' infrastructure, to, which allows the government to access users' messages. At, that, at the same time, India's Information Technology Ministry have proposed new intermediary guidelines that would force WhatsApp and others to trace messages Trace messages and remove objectionable content within 24 hours. WhatsApp, which has more users in India than any other country, has, quote, pushed back on government attempts to ban or weaken end-to-end -end encryption and will continue to do so. The public and tech companies have until later this month to respond to both sets of the proposed rules. The Telecom Authority of India will submit its recommendations for new rules to the Department of Telecommunications for further consideration... Though it doesn't have to follow the suggestions, analysts say, the Information Technology Ministry could choose to implement and enforce the new rules as early as next month. All of this would be really alarming to me if I had friends. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I don't have that problem. If you don't send messages, there's nothing to encrypt. That's right. That's the real thing going on. Oh. I don't have to encrypt anything. You don't have a problem because you I'm don't have a social life. Don't talk to anyone. There's nothing or talk to about. anyone that you might not want to be found by the well, government. Yeah. I mean, if you just will exist and talk to them inside your head, yeah, you, you don't need an app for that. It's a lot easier. It's, it's true. Yeah, it's they, called they, schizophrenia. Yeah, they can't mind read me yet. Well, I they mean, can, not yet. Uh, not, like, not yet. They're already that's inside true. your head. They can't. Uh, I mean, actually. that's a problem I'll have later on. Oh, well, that's why they have tinfoil hats, right? Like that's No, that's to prevent the government. From, from reading, yeah, from, from, from no, reading? From, from the ra from the rays reaching your mind. Oh, but it's not that the effectively turns oh, you into I... a giant antenna. Oh, I because didn't. it's tinfoil, oh, I... and you conduct You're electricity. Oh, so it amplifies it. So uh, right, it amplifies. It, it actually oh. amplifies your brain waves. It's a, oh. a very big misstep. Oh, I messed up. You need a Faraday cage hat. I didn't. Which might actually prevent you from breathing. Did they sell those on Amazon. The Faraday oh. cage wallets. Oh, but not hats. Mm. Not yet. Maybe. I could buy. Got to check uh, Alex Jones's website. Oh, jeez. Anyway, <laughs> the only problem I have with this is once they once they do this to to WhatsApp, there's just going to be another encrypted well, messaging service that'll pop up. Well, if you remember, I believe it was India did this to BlackBerry. They made BlackBerry's servers operate out of India's government or something like that, so they can. I believe it was India BlackBerry. Uh, uh it was a couple years ago. Um, yeah, 2013. After a lengthy battle, BlackBerry will finally let the Indian government monitor its servers, and they place special servers inside of the government for them to do that. And so now they did it with BlackBerry successfully, so now they're coming after WhatsApp, since who uses BlackBerry anymore? Yeah, no one. No, well, Canadians might. BBM? That means something else these days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, yes. Also, India is looking to curb, just like the EU, U.S. tech giant's power, probably looking to the EU for ways of getting money out of them. India wants to slap new rules on Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, and Google, or AG, after other firms using a page from China's playbook and, Europe, and Brussels' playbook to take control of its citizens' data and shelter homegrown startups. 
The proposed rules, which have emerged in recent weeks in a series of private draft government policies, have U.S. tech companies concerned, according to people familiar with the matter. American firms are betting billions on the Indian market because, unlike China's, it has been relatively open to foreign competitors. That might be about to change. Uh, a draft of the new e-commerce policy reviews by, reviewed by the Wall Street Journal reportedly calls for a level playing field and outlines new rules for, quote, encouraging domestic innovation and boosting the domestic digital economy to find its rightful place with dominant and politically non-competitive global players. What the hell does that mean? Data created by users in India from e-commerce platforms, social media, and search engines would need to be, quote, stored exclusively in India, the draft says, adding that the government would then have access to it. Doesn't sound like it's going to inspire innovation at all. It is because it'll inspire people to move to other countries uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and then innovate. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Okay, uh, we're running behind really quickly. I want to touch on uh, Facebook's ten-year meme challenge. Of course, there was that whole thing about how hey, post a picture of yourself from ten years ago. Uh, one of the more brilliant people to uh, analyze this. This was Kate O'Neill writing for Wired. She said, uh, me, 10 years ago, probably would have played along with the profile picture aging meme going around. Uh, but now, ponders how all this data could be mined to train facial recognition algorithms on the age progression and age recognition. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. What do you guys think? This is a giant data set for a machine learning progr- program. <laughs> it's right up there with the uh, check to see. And this is, I'm not kidding, in the Museum of... It was like the CIA museum in Washington or the crime museum. There's like a crime museum. Spy museum, maybe? Spy museum. Yeah. yeah. It was a spy yeah, museum. Cool they have a terminal to check to see if your face is in their library of criminals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if it's not, guess what? It is now. <laughs> I know who you are now. <laughs> yeah. Don't use that honeypot. Here's another one. And, and I, 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 I definitely, uh, definitely agree with uh, Miss O'Neill here, uh, if that's the proper... Uh, I mean, they already have your data for that's 10 years. That's the rebuttal years. she got. Oh, the yeah. data yeah. is already available. Facebook's it's... already got all the profile pictures. However, now they can just search by the hashtag. Here's what, exactly. And here's what she that, said. That data set's right there. Sure, you could mine Facebook profile pictures and look at posting dates or exit data, but that whole set of profile pictures could end up generating a lot of useless noise. People don't reliably updo- upload pictures in chronological order, and it's not uncommon for users to post pictures of something older than themselves as a profile picture. A quick glance through my Facebook friend's profile pictures, whom I'm sure she has a lot, shows a friend's dog who has just died, several cartoons, word images, abstract patterns, and more. In other words, it would help if you had a clean, simple, helpfully labeled set of then and now photos, which is exactly what this is doing. Um, I wonder if the people that have all, like everyone that's realized this and realized what they're using it for, have just started poisoning the well. Because that's the easiest way I to... Hope so. to Get around this, this information is better learning. than yeah, but it's but, gonna it's gonna happen at some point. But, yeah, yeah. it doesn't seem like a big deal. Can't I mean, really stop this, this, but this is someone's gonna go through the training data regardless. It doesn't yeah. make a big like it. No, but the thing, well, someone's well, gonna go through. You think a person? No, they have to go through it because uh, like you have to audit your training data. If it's not correct collected correctly, then the way you process it for machine learning. It's going to be incorrect. Yes, but that's why Tumblr has flagged uh, pictures of chicken breasts and desert sand dunes as pornography and tried to remove them from their site, as along with the, uh, what is it in the UK? There's some UK machine learning algorithm that's trying to spot porn and it ends up banning things like that too. Raw meat, which I mean, raw meat might be porn, but that's not, 
<laughs> exactly what we're talking you, you about. You never know what people are into. <laughs> it's weird times we live in. Yeah. Uh, you don't know, know that it wasn't learning on its own. That's and, true. And it knew. And it knew. Okay. Um, let's, let's see. We talked about India, and we are running quite a bit late. So why don't we take... Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Why don't we take a quick break? Cypress, do you live in New York City? Well, if you do, Pneumonium has a beautiful new product for you. It's called Glamify, your five-phone numbers navigator to help you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereamai.nyc to enable location services on your mobile device to find your closest neighborhood, borough, and three subway stops to you wherever you are. No ads, no tracking, just Geo's special friends. That's Where Am I? Brought to you by Pneumonium. Pneumonium, reinventing media day. Yeah, and it will soon be replaced by next train once I can get the train to update when the next train comes. Why don't you just refresh the page? Huh? Why don't you just refresh the page? Yeah, I, I could obviously do that, but that's not the point. Once the timer that's hits That's not the zero. point of the app. <laughs> point of the app. It's called Next Train. The next train comes, it needs to clock over. That's the whole point of the app, and it doesn't do it. It's a Redux store. It's a Redux reducer. has to update from index zero to index two, and it's not doing it. The events fire. It looks like it's going to do it, and it just doesn't do it. But then sometimes it does do it, but it does it in a, in a trip that's, like, way far away. So if you let it run for, like, five minutes, it'll go from zero to, like, ten minutes away. No idea what the hell is going on. Anyway. Man. I am so glad I don't work with front-end technologies. I, I just have to say it's a real pain in the ass developing this type of software because it's never happy. The data that you get is not okay. I can't. The direction I'm going in that. So, <clears throat> I really hope that the uh, automation track is recording this episode. <laughs> if not, I apologize to everyone. Um, okay. So why don't we move on to uh, the whole meat of the show, as we're, I think it looks like we're an hour in. Uh, why don't we move on to the real meat and talk about quality assurance. Quality assurance is the act of assuring quality in a product or application or service. Obviously, it's like a, a Webster's Dictionary definition of it. <laughs> quality assurance is the process of assuring quality. That's right. Um, what does that actually mean? And we have, of course, you, Micah, a talented QA engineer. Uh, what does that actually mean, quality assurance? Sure. So, uh, basically, we try and create a whole bunch of checks so that whenever there's... Checks and balances. Yeah, checks and balances. Like the, what the government... Sorry. Yeah, how it's supposed to work. Uh, so that whenever there's... Supposed to, right. So, so that whenever there's changes, um, we can check them and make sure that nothing is blowing up, which occasionally we, we stop. How much of your job is manual versus automated, and how much of that actually varies from project to project? Uh, yeah, so from job to job, that, that all changes, and it all depends on how much automation is already in place. Okay, um, what types of automation are we, are we talking about here? So there's, there's tons of different types of automation, from end-to-end -end tests, um, integration tests, unit tests, and that's just, you know, rough definitions. But, okay, but depending on what's in place, um, you need more how, or less manual. How does uh, let's let's go through those? Sure. So we have uh, end-to-end -end tests. Mm -hmm. I should have written this down. 
mean, even though I know it, but end-to-end -end tests, integration tests, excuse me. Unit tests and... Those, those are the what three. Was the four? I thought there were four. You could say like threshold tests, slow tests too. Slow I mean, tests, it, it, okay. Those, uh, Any and then there's manual QA. And the manual QA. Yeah. How do end-to-end -end tests differ from something like an integration test? Because I'd always thought that was pretty similar. So the way I like to think about it is an end-to-end -end test is running through the through the whole of your application. Something like a Selenium WebDriver automatically uh, clicking through your application in a web browser like that. An integration test can be lower level between different pieces of your application, maybe like uh, front-end the database. But does that still so, kind of require running a, a, a um, an envi like a fake environment as a, as like a Selenium or a headless Chrome or something like that to click on all the things and it, make sure the page loads and so, don't have any errors? So integration doesn't have to, and um, it's way quicker if you can break up the components of it at a smaller level, which will also provide way faster feedback to what is broken if something changes to the developers. So no one likes seeing like, hey, you're drop down doesn't work, why? Instead, it's way easier if they just say, hey, this database connection's messed up. Gotcha. You don't have to spend 15 minutes debugging three different things. Okay, and so you kind of structure these tests together in a way so they're not really duplicates of each other, but they're testing different pieces of, of yeah. the same. And, and do you have to neurotically come up with the scenarios? Or okay. how, and, how and, then, and then on the flip side of that, um, how does that play into something that on the development side, there's test-driven development or behavior-driven development? How does that, how does what you do play into that? Sure, so a lot of what I do is, I mean, when I come into a new place, I make sure that the core business logic of an application is covered in an end-to-end -end test to set up a scaffolding. Okay, and when you, and when you say an end-to-end -end test, you're not testing things like, uh, like display values, are you? Like this font size is no, 16 pixels no. here. I, I'm, I'm testing things like, does the video play it should all be really high level right just right, right. like if we can't play video we don't make money right did this ad yeah. event fire yes i got you um okay so you have that um and the when you when you talk about unit tests are they typically written and i'm talking very generally here are they typically written by you uh the qa person or, or the qa engineer or are they typically written by the developer in something like test driven development where you're supposed to write the test first and you fill in the, the code that makes the test work it's all organization dependent but it's usually written by the developer okay and then you take their tests and what finish them or make sure they actually work or when you receive tests from a developer do they work most of the time or are they just kind of there to satisfy the requirement that the developer wrote the tests they should work. <laughs> should work. So I feel like it's so, the so, latter that you're, that actually happens to uh, you. I, I mean, there's always situations that happen where they don't work, and then they get caught at another level, or they okay. get out into production, and then you have, you know, a retrospective, and you figure out, all right, this should have been caught by these three levels of test, and you figure out which one's the most efficient level to catch it at. But you have to be in a very mature organization for that kind of flow to happen. Sure. Now, in terms of testing environments, you're a fan of things like uh, browser stack. Uh, yeah, and as long as as long as it works for you. Um, what do you think about emulating test environments versus virtualizing test environments? I prefer for a test environment to be exactly the same as production. Okay. Well, I'm talking about I'm talking about from the client side. So, like, 
There's a lot of libraries that say that they can emulate whatever browser, but it's not actually, uh, oh, it's not actually, yeah. versus like having a virtual machine of the operating system and yeah. then having that web browser run natively. Yeah. In my experience, the former, which I know Adobe has a tool, I think there's a couple of other tools out there, um, they just don't cut it. They, they don't have the bug-for-bug bug replication that is the reason why you're using these things in the first place. Yeah, just, use, just use the browser. Just use the thing that you're... That the yeah, well, that's why, that's why in my Hackintosh here, I've got every version of Windows crossed with every version of Internet Explorer that each version of Windows can run. Since you can only run one of them at a time, I have like 25 VMs. And then I just went crazy and I got the old versions of Windows too. So. That's when browsers do that? Yeah, browser stack does that, man. Yeah, you have to pay for that. Oh, <laughs> you don't have money? What's money? Oh. I put all my money idea. in Bitcoin, and now it's... Uh... Oh. Oh, oh, that's oh, not... You just no. put it in at the wrong time, man. I don't think that's I money. Story my everything I invest in turns to garbage. Weird. Um, You know what? I have to run out really quickly. Why don't you two chat for like 30 seconds? I'll be right back. Why, why doesn't... Uh, so when a QA test fails, or automation test, uh, there will be times where it's because of timing, or... In the case of front end, where an automation test, let's say, runs on browser stack, and you're checking if things come up like an animation element, and that animation element takes some time, mm -hmm. and that animation element may in also include uh, an HTTP request, so the timing might be dependent. Uh, how do you like? Don't those fail at times? Sure. Um, so, and you see this a lot with um, immature automation tests um they'll have just sleeps in their tests instead of actually waiting for what they want to test um it's pretty frustrating because then any type of change in latency or if the, the test is being ran in another uh another place um it can clearly change like how long these things take to appear um so that that's generally what i've found why that happens well, when when do you call it then? When the like, if when do I know if let's say the like a mobile never shows up, mm -hmm. uh, when does the when should the automation test then call it? Go, wow, this is screwed. Sure. Um, so what I try and do is I have a threshold for quality and when I think a modal should show up. I don't think a user is going to wait more than thirty seconds for a modal to show up. If it doesn't show up in those 30 seconds, then the test should fail anyway because we have some pretty crappy code. Okay. So, um, if I'm running... Let's say if the threshold's 30 seconds and then the automation test, I have to run a lot of them. Uh, can I... Like, is it normal to run them concurrently or do you have ones that have uh, depend on prior state? Or... Um, I don't have automation tests that depend on prior state. They should all be able to run individually so that I can run them in parallel. That way it's way quicker because, for example, a lot of my automation suites, if I were to run them in serial, would take like five hours. But if I can run them in parallel, they can take like 30 minutes. That's super serial. Yeah, that's super serial. Yeah, right. that, that's what, <laughs> so I guess uh, because a lot of these services, they charge decent, like even browser stack, they do charge a decent amount of money. 
right? So uh, yeah, sometimes you, sometimes you have to do of, it. Of Windows on my own. Yeah, some, sometimes they do. Um, if you want, you, I can pull up Windows three and you can do some tests on that. Actually, you want to do some QA testing on my Performa? It's got Netscape. <laughs> uh, it's got Netscape Navigator three. It's got Internet Explorer five for Mac, which is officially the best web browser ever. It doesn't have um, Mosaic. Does it ever or become Mozilla. a does that ever become a case where you're also like because of how long it may take per platform? Um, that like how do you prioritize? Like oh I don't really you know let's say that Windows three is not a big deal. Nope. Like, uh, how is that usually decided? Yeah, you can go by Google Analytics. Pretty simple. That was one of the first that, things I did when I is when that I a started. decision that you make or is that a decision that excuse me the someone from up high makes and says okay we have to target these platforms uh, for whatever reason and then you have to deal with it like. I spent a lot of time fixing stuff on a platform that might not be used by that many people, but there was a real business reason that came down from on high that had to that required necessitated that kind of work. How much of that is is so? That's why I asked. How much of that is your doing versus how many you know? How much of that is is comes down as a business rule? Yeah, sure. Most of it is is my doing when I come to an organization because they're asking me for my expertise and my expertise is always <laughs> you, That's yeah. what you think. Yeah. No, I, I obviously get, get told like, hey, please focus on these specific ones if we're trying to right. move towards those. But most of the time, it's trying to cover what could go wrong and what could lose the company money. And how, and how so much you has that use... affected your neuroses just generally? Oh, I, it's pretty terrible. I know, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, I like being neurotic has really made me a better programmer. It really has. And it I has. Know, yeah. yeah, yeah, 100%, um, which is why I try and automate everything at a very low level. Uh, how do you find out like who, when the test breaks, um, there might be some, since it's end-to-end tests, relying on a bunch of different components. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you normally find out who's at fault? Sure. So um, with mine, I get a full stack trace, uh, console logs. I have a video and I get pictures. Um, so it's pretty easy to go through to recreate and see what's going on. Um, but again, if if you're only relying on end-to-end tests, you're only ha- going to have a, a partial picture of the of what's going on. Right, so you need the whole you need the whole the whole spectrum of tests. Yeah, you need really. you need a holistic view of of, holistic view of, yeah, of testing. Um, all right, let's talk about tools. So for uh, for end to end tests, since we talked about that a lot right or just recently, what do you use for that? You said browser stack, but that facilitates the actual yeah. testing on computers. What do you use to communicate with them? Sure. An API? So, uh, yeah, I use uh, Water WebDriver. Um, water WebDriver. Yeah. It's what it's called. Or waiter. Waiter, yeah. water. It's a wrapper around Selenium. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and Ruby, um, and just a page object pattern and Cucumber. Um, okay. Just I enjoy Cucumber for end-to-end tests because it makes it very obvious when you're getting uh, into too minute of detail for what an end-to-end test is. What do you mean? Uh, if you start focusing on too low a level of detail, you basically end up starting. There's that you're saying something that's kind of subjective. Like for you, what oh, is that? Yes. What is that too low level of detail? Basically, I don't want to unit test uh, a front end in an end-to-end test. When I start noticing tests that are that are have scenario outlines in Cucumber, or look like they should be scenario outlines, which is just a way to data drive the tests, mm-hmm. that's when I start thinking like, okay, this logic should we should only look at one scenario of this maybe, and focus and have some maybe integration or unit tests 
that cover what this test is trying to accomplish. How do you counter uh, differences in performance? Or like, if you're if you're if if the the website is or the app is trying to do something that's supported in one browser but not in another, what type of test finds out that issue, and then how is that reported? I mean, an intent test would find that out. Right. Yeah. But. So you all right? So that's kind of that's that's kind of why I'm asking this. Like yeah. it's an equilibrium of yeah. trying to figure out exactly what to include yeah. and what needs to be pushed down to a, a lower level test. Yes. Which is why I would I guess in some it's, in some instances people do hard code CSS values because they said you know if it doesn't look like this there's got to be a problem. I yeah. mean that's another that's another yeah. problem. But I'm just saying like that's it's a very, it's a very subjective thing that we're talking about. So it makes sense that the responses can vary widely. Yeah, and the other thing is, how fast do you want to make changes in your application? Like, if, if that's not a concern to you, how quick you want to be able to iterate, then you can have your tests take way longer. That's fine. That's true, and if you don't have CI/CD set up, then your yeah. iteration is much less, or le much more, much slower, in the sense that then you could allow your tests to take a lot longer. Yeah. And then you have a lot more time to do... Whatever. Nothing. Yeah. Hang out. Hang out. Play Look Nintendo. at new end-to-end uh, -end tests. Yeah. Isn't there... Some game, like a QA game. I thought I saw it on Steam or something like that. I know there's like a hacking game on Steam, but uh, hold on. I thought maybe nah. Vim Golf. <laughs> Vim Golf. That, does that that might actually exist? That, that's a thing. Is it really? Yeah. Wayne. Yep. What is Vim Golf? Uh, you have to do certain things in Vim in the lowest amount of actions possible. Real Vim Ninjas count every keystroke. Oh my god, this is much worse than what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, no. I thought it was like you somehow play ASCII golf in Vim. No. 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 This is the how big is your e-penis yeah. question oh, yeah. challenge. There are a lot of golf versions of languages and doing things. I want that golf from Windows 95. That's the whatever one that was. I want that came in that that came with Ski Free and the. That's what I want. Ski, ski Free. Is, that's the one with the, the abominable snowman comes yeah, in yeah. eventually. That's what I want. It was all in that same package. Yeah. And there was like the one with the maze and then the cheese and the mice. Um, <sighs> what was it? Was that the Microsoft Entertainment Pack? That was like a. Because because they I know there was one for like Windows three, that um. And this is bringing me back to like. Hack. There was one for Windows 3 that had like Chips Challenge in it. And, uh. Resell. Rattler Race. Rodent's Revenge! Yes! Uh. Fuji Golf. That's what it was. And, yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael, going back to. Sorry. <laughs> automation in QA. Yes. Uh, like, what do you typically see in. Like, uh, how much do developers actually write unit integration tests? Like, do is there a, a, do you see a separation on like front uh, front end native type developers versus back end developers, uh, or do you end up like there is just usually sometimes maybe either on the back end or front end there's n not enough tests and you end up having the right automation tests as like this kind of like blue or this net right to catch things before it goes out yeah so a lot of times if if i'm new to an organization that means they've probably had problems testing things efficiently in the past um 
so they don't have a lot there. So what I really try and focus on is getting a, a scaffolding, is my way to think of it, up of end-to-end -end tests, and then working with the developers to get some kind of system for lower level testing so we can push down the time it takes for those end-to-end -end tests to run. Um, do you, so do you mean like getting them to start writing unit integration <laughs> tests when they don't? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's my nice way of saying uh, it. Uh, who, 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 like which groups are usually the worst offenders, do you say? You're gonna, yeah, well, yeah, but it's, even... it's, yeah, it's, it's usually either um, a junior developer who, who doesn't see the benefits of testing, or it's um, any developer that's put under a consistent time crunch where, where management may not see, or a product manager maybe may not see the value long term in tests or won't be there long term. Yeah, yeah. so. I don't think that it's unusual to see like either startups or places that don't care. They're not uh, tech driven or they're driven purely by product people. Yep. Um, how do you normally, do they normally hire automation engineers for you to be like a net? Uh, and then how do you prioritize? I worked at a company, I'm sorry to cut you off. Sure. I worked at a company that fired their whole QA department and they were a giant media company. And all they did is they had their uh, their architects increase the test threshold uh, to 100%, <laughs> and which is impossible. And I mean, if, I mean, it's imp it's practically impossible in the sense that if it's if you're if you're accurately testing the code, you don't necessarily need 100% code coverage. It's just being pedantic. But the other thing is 100% coverage for whatever spec slice of this test spectrum that we talk about is not at all a way to replace some human that's clicking on the stuff that's managing what's being that's managing the automation that's managing the reports that the automation generates or the videos that are, you know, that are caught by whatever you have that's capturing the screens like and so bugs get released and then we have to revert uh, releases and then that doesn't look good but i don't know how much money that costs versus the amount of qa people they have to pay yeah, it's it's tough, and I don't. I'm not sure exactly what their situation was, and how much they're paying their people, and well, they, how much they, they were in a uh, free fall. Yeah. Actually, there, yeah. there was another uh, another another media company I worked for, uh, also very big, that had other developers do QA for you. So they didn't have QA people; they had other developers do it. That sounds expensive. As long as it wasn't you. Yeah, that sounds so, really like, expensive. So we're working on a project. You two would QA my work, and then I'll QA your work, That's... and then they don't have to hire QA people. Yes. See, it's easier if you just have some automation because then I'll handle all the as much of the boilerplate regression that a manual guy will have to do so that it frees them up to only look at new problems. Right. Now let's talk about regression. What exactly is regression? It's old like older pieces of code breaking. Oh, it is. Yeah. What about re regression testing? Yeah, it's testing, you know, older code's functionality. I thought regression testing kind of meant that you exhaustively test every piece of the app uh, and click every button and every screen and stuff like that. Uh, I mean... Am I? I could be wrong. No, don't no. Feel free well, to tell me I'm I, wrong. Yeah, I don't, not, I don't, just, I, that's, that's not how I view yeah. it. That's so. not how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So regression... But, uh, that, but so when we have a regression, like... I, Shouldn't the developer be doing that on their end? Like, uh, do you, if they fix a regression, a regression that was caused by them, um, do you remove those from your tests eventually? 
or how does that work? Yeah, so I, th I think it goes with um, how long that piece of code or that piece of functionality has been out in production and stable. So when there's new functionality, I, I try and have more testing around it as it's been proven out and you don't have problems with it. I think, you know, there might be extra layers of testing that you had just, you know, like I put them in just to keep my sanity that you might be able to whittle down or okay. push down into a lower level of testing. Yeah, do they like, do you have developers like communicate that to you or do you generally know, you know, like, oh, this guy is never going to write a test to catch a regression on his end, so I'm just going to leave <laughs> this in forever. <laughs> that, yeah, so that's, that's, I mean, that's obviously dependent on the developer that you're working with, uh -huh. which, I mean, that you're getting into like, you have to know interpersonally the differences in people and definitely well, I've, co yeah. I've come into that right. where I know like this guy's not gonna 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 write these tests yeah. so I have to keep this insane level of right. testing here because I've been bitten by this problem right. seven times already. Yeah I mean uh, I imagine that would be a problem because it, every test you write has like a, a time component how long it takes right yeah. so ideally uh, any regressions that can be taken care of at on, on their level you'd want to but that's not how real life works yeah uh so yeah there is so that's still an aspect and a qa engineer has to make right like a judgment call uh do i you know catch this because i know uh ultimately i'm like the net i'm going to have some responsibility when it goes out right it's also how much yeah. responsibility am i going to take right? right so if if i know that what i'm doing is inefficient and taking a long time at, at my level but that the other engineer isn't going to do it at his level right then i can always go and do it at their level right it's not going to be you know i'm not going to be the best at writing some type of lower level test but right. i can still do it so that's i mean that's, that's very all, nice of you yeah uh yeah <laughs> It is, yes. It's it's also just like one of my things where whenever there's a problem that I could have had something and I, I could have done something for it, I take responsibility saying like, hey, I could have done something for it. I just think it makes teams work more efficiently that way. If everyone acknowledges like, hey, this went wrong. Here's the thing that I I could have done. Um, so I, I enjoy working on teams that have that type of camaraderie instead of people just blaming everyone else. Uh, when you were talking about manual QA sure. and about how they shouldn't be catching regression and finding new problems, so I guess what kind is is that a completely different skill set from what you're doing? If they're like they have to find new problems, like how does that work? I think so. Manual QA guys have a, a lot of really good experience, um, especially a lot of them that have spent a lot of time with applications. They generally know how it was put together, the really good ones, and where the bodies are going to be found, more or less, for, for common problems. So they're going to be very good at those types of exploratory testing and have really good intuition of, of where those problems will occur. And, and really, if they can communicate that with me, then it makes it way easier for me to do my job. But also, sometimes it's, it's unfeasible for me to test some of those scenarios. So it's, it's a balance. Um, so that's, that's how I like to think about it. I, I prefer to automate as much of them as I can, just so they can focus on their own problems, which is it's new features.
or changes. Yeah. How I guess how would you manage that? Where let's you can say you try to stand like there. Oh, I'm sorry. how 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 would you manage that? Like there. So let's say with the manual QA team, there's some regression tests they may be doing manually in the interim, mm-hmm. uh, while you're you're either building it out, or in some cases, it's completely unfeasible because it's super convoluted. Um, like how does that work? How does that like kind of tra- transfer a communication work? You know, um, uh, you, you have like a Jira for that kind of thing, or how does that work? Yeah, so I know um, in some organizations they have uh, test plans of what the manual guys do, and it's just step by step, and it's making sure they have good documentation. It's also making sure they understand what the automation tests are doing, which is why I like things like like Cucumber as a good framework because it's really easy to explain from a high level what's going on. Um, and then with the unit tests and integration tests, it's good to make sure they have very clear descriptions so that a manual QA person knows this is being covered. And then whenever there's a regression or any type of problem that they they see in development or you know if it even gets into production, that should be the whole team should know and talk about that and everyone should know like okay, this is going to be checked at this level. Interesting. How <clears throat> Uh, in terms of mocking data, mm-hmm. I know that you, there's a significant part of your job that involves mocking data, but I know that the data that you have to mock can be quite, in, it's it's not, I'm not going to say complicated, but it like is the result of a few transactions of other services talking to each other, like, especially when you talk about like authentication tokens or access tokens or things that expire at a certain time yeah. that give you entitlements to things. Um, how do you how do you effectively mock that data, or even like trying to test a component inside of a re, uh, a, a React component that is hydrated by Redux information? Like, how do you uh, that comes from somewhere else, hmm. or how 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 much time, how much effort do you have to spend mocking data, and do you have any best practices on how to do that? So this is kind of a complex question. It is. Do you um, just say? I mean, you could you could save API responses. You, I know, I don't know what you do. So, so yeah, there, you can do that. You can use something like VCR. I actually prefer What's VCR. Uh, it, it. I mean, I know what a VCR. Yeah, is, but I'm sure it, it's not so that. it's it's exactly what it sounds like. Video um, cassette recorder. It it, it records uh, API transactions and tests them whenever you make changes. Huh. Yeah. Changes to what? To to your service. To your microservice. So, but what I prefer is is a little bit of a twist on that, um, and it's something like called like Pact. It's a contract testing. So, if you have microservices that have dependencies on each other, this is a third party that sits in between, and whenever they're updated, it checks the contract between the services. So, it's checking at a very small level, just does it the use structure. Quantum key. It doesn't. It, it'd be <laughs> cool if it did. Yeah. I don't think it needs to though. No, of course. Not. Um, and, and it's just. The idea is just to keep it as simple as possible. Make sure that these two services are talking in the you know correct structure to one another. Sure. So that if something, because I've been in places where you know someone updates their microservice and like they change artist to artists in their you know in their or description to desk. Yeah, and and then it blows up the the downstream service, but it passes their tests. And the downstream service just starts consuming it, and we start throwing errors everywhere. So it's it's much easier to, to debug that if you have a, a contract test to just tell you, like, oh, someone changed the structure of this instead of, hey, now this, this API is throwing, you know, 500s everywhere. Um, when doing automation tests, is there any, since 
constantly talk about security. Is there any like uh, security related stuff you check? Or is that <laughs> generally just a different realm? That's that is a different realm. There is some stuff I've done in the past to make sure that there's no like SQL injection happening. Um, but that's um, when I've been at places that have had that issue come up in the past and they needed to check for that. Um, generally, a pen tester will come in and has some sort of like has a way to automatically test that. I mean, it's not something that I generally do right now, but you know, if we needed it, I'm sure I could figure out how to do it. Cool. All right. Um, Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I mean, uh, I think we've talked about yeah, all the different types of it. Yeah, I think uh, that's pretty exhaustive. Pretty exhaustive. In terms of testing devices, you know, we've talked about testing services. We've talked about testing computers or things that you can interface with computers. But what about devices and devices that are external? How do you test something? How do you test that something is going to work well on, let's say, a Roku when the build hasn't been published yet? Do you have to manually sit down with the Roku and like and, and use it, or how do you like? <laughs> what do you do? I mean, so with a Roku, uh, and I, I, I'm sorry, there's something specific to Roku, is there? Yeah, no, it's, it's an OTT device, so um, it doesn't it doesn't work like you can't use Appium with it. Um, it's not really. What's Appium? Uh, it's it's a automated framework for automation frame, framework similar to Selenium for devices. Like uh, iOS and like Android an IR blaster or something like that? Uh, no, even lower level. So it has its own locators that you can use instead of having to issue... Based on, like, Wi-Fi something? Like, it knows... Uh, based like off... It, it, sets, it's, it does, like, an ARP request like, and, it gets the, and it gets the MAC addresses of whatever and can tell no, the like, vendor of the MAC it's, addresses it's like and buy, say, oh, it's a Roku. Buy ID. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so, so for the Roku, um, what you can do is you can actually send curl requests that, that are the IR codes straight to the really device. that's kind of yeah. funny that also sounds like it's rife for exploitation oh yeah you have to you have to be able you have to configure it and i watched my roku turn on the playboy channel and boy was i surprised that <laughs> they should not be allowed to do any of that but i couldn't stop them because of those damn hackers yeah. well couldn't you have unplugged your device no because of the hackers oh okay that, that's a really poor excuse. You know that ha I read an article for, for watching Playboy on your Roku. <laughs> <laughs> I read. I remember. I keep bringing this up. I remember reading an article like right around the millennium that told, that was from some old lady. It was written written in a sympathetic tone. It was in like a real newspaper about some hackers you hacked into her AOL account and st and like she said, I could watch them deleting all of my documents one at a time. Turn it off. <laughs> Pull the plug. Sign out of AOL. It turned into close the computer. There's a million things you can do. Just don't sit there and watch it happen. Well, if it was AOL, was the mail on her computer? Turn, pick up the phone. It's another way of doing it. If it's AOL, just pick up the phone. It kills oh, yeah, the connection. Dialed in. Uh, Michael, is if there was someone interested in getting into automated QA, is is there like a boot camp equivalent, or how do how does one start? <laughs> Uh, there, there probably is now some sort of boot camp equivalent. But oh, so Eric can complain about it. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, um, it's a lot of learning, and you need to know a lot more than just how to automate a web browser to be really good at it. And I, I think that 
is like one of the distinctions. It's, it's the distinction with every sort of field. You need to, if, at least in tech that I've seen, is is you need to know a lot more than maybe just what's relevant to influencing. Like for me, I need to know more than just Selenium, Ruby, Java, whatever language I'm using, uh, and the and the test runner. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. <laughs> you take a look. It's in a book, Careening Rainbow. I can go anywhere. Okay. Uh, I don't. <laughs> For think... more information on QA automation, visit your local library. Oh, I can be anything. Okay. <laughs> I don't think they put in books how to blame your developer without blowing up the relationship. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't blame your developer. That's that's usually the first key. Um, so what like uh, what I guess what would you recommend then to um, what kind of people should get into automated QA if they're developers? Let's say they come out of boot camp. You know, w w what kind of qualities uh, should they have? <laughs> um, Do they hate themselves or like you, what, what you know? I mean, what, I think every developer hates themselves yeah, a little bit. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm yeah, dead on the course. inside. You got to be uh, the so like the qualities I tend to look for when I'm trying to work with people is that they're lazy. Um, <laughs> cause I want them to but be seriously able, false. No, no, but seriously, cause I want them to, to automate as much as possible. And I want it to be cleanly done because they're going to be lazy to the point where they don't want to maintain a whole bunch of different things. So it should be, you know, having maintainable codes important too. Yeah. But if they're lazy, can't they just blame the developer? Yeah. Just, that's a good just, point. There's some kind of, you gotta have responsibility yeah, for yourself. There, it's yeah. an equilibrium equation, as is most things. <laughs> so, um, okay. Uh, anything else, Wayne? Any any more no, questions? No, that's it. About Thanks QA? a lot. Yeah, yeah I think cool. we've almost done a two-hour show, which is great. Double album. Nice. Pull request. Anyway, I'm always fast. I need to get a library of those uh, of those sounds. Those. Oh, I thought you meant like those Unreal Tournament sounds. No. No, no, no. I'm sure there's an iPad app. I mean, for what? For the Unreal Tournament? Hmm, there's the sounds. There, I mean, there is, but they don't have, like, those are actually really professionally recorded um, sound bits, which is, un it's unfortunate. Um, Just make your own soundboard, man. I, I, what do you think's playing the, uh, what do you think's playing the thing? Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking for something. I can't find it uh, hold on is it the jeopardy music no i already <laughs> have it on here no i think it's this it was a rainy night no. nope wasn't it um okay never mind there was a there was something i wanted to, to play really quickly but you can't find the stuff that you really need when you need to find it, but you obviously can find it when you don't need it because that's how life works. That's how my brain works. Oh yeah. No, it was uh No, it was very interesting because of the uh I don't even know. Like why it How do I There's got to be like a a way This sounds like me trying to fix a problem like a bug right now yeah yeah how why oh here we go i think this is it 
Why don't we take a Why don't we take a quick break? Spot one, take three. This is Nilsson for Vista. Vista volunteers do all kinds of work in all kinds of places, but only where they're needed and wanted. Wait, this isn't the right they one. They help poor people to develop. Damn it. I wanted to have, there's, there was something about, have you heard of Harry Nilsson? No. He did that one song that uh, everyone's heard, um, uh, everyone's talking. Everybody talking down there. You know that song? Yeah, you just recreated it perfectly. Thank you. It's beautiful. Thank you, yeah. yeah. He did that. Everybody's talking down there. He's from Brooklyn. Everybody's talking. He's putting on a voice. Are you singing again? I hear words saying only the echoes so of my. The thing mind. about Harry Nilsson, despite being a, I'm pretty sure he's a Brooklyn Jew, and send make songs like this. Um, it, when the Beatles came, uh, when the Beatles uh, started Apple Records in the late the '60s, they were asked, "What is your favorite? Who is your favorite U.S. artist?" They said, or, or John Lennon said, Harry Nilsson. Sitting right next to him was Paul McCartney, who was asked, okay, who's your favorite American group? He said, Harry Nilsson. Harry Nilsson somehow got left out of the story of rock, especially psychedelic rock, even though he was an important contribution because he blended. He was the transition between, like, the Beatles' late 60s psychedelia and the early 70s singer-songwriter stuff with crap like this, you know? But he also, like... That was a bad decision, Harry. But, uh... What is it? He does, like, um... He did, like, a She's Leaving Home that sounds exactly like the Beatles. Uh, from the White Album. And I have a, like... I need to cue this up. Because it's, like... It's hard for me to uh, say say something. You got to make this easy for me to stall for time, Mike. <laughs> I gotta use the bathroom. Gotta use the bathroom. Okay. Uh, I have a pretty large bladder, but I'm, I'm I don't know what's going on. Wednesday morning at five. Hey, couldn't this just be John Lennon sing this? I can say it. Yeah. <laughs> The reason why I'm bringing this up is because I saw, um, uh, what is it? Not Harry Nilsson, but, uh, there was some ad in these, like, in these session, uh, uh, compilations of his that's from the 60s, and the ad, and it was about this new, uh, album of his, and the way that they just, like, why can't I go back to what I was searching? The way the the way that the ad copy was written back then was just I mean it was it was it was ridiculous. And I'm trying to find it, but I can't go back to the uh uh hold on. Ariel. I just say spot. This is supposed to be the nice thing that I'm I'm trying to uh end the show with. Uh okay, I think this might be it. This is Nielsen. He sings the new rock. Think about the happy times, the groovy times. He sings the new rock. He's been traveling underground. Now he's arrived. 
Nielsen sings straight from the shoulder to the very hip. Dig. Everybody's talking at me. Dig. Can't hear a word they're saying. Nielsen's new RCA album, Aerial Ballet, is a 12-song excursion through inner space. It features songs like Good Old Desk, Mr. Tinker, and this one. Life isn't easy when two are divided and one has decided to bring down the curtain and one thing for certain there's nothing I'm sorry the acid hasn't kicked in when. I like that the song is called is This One. Nielsen. <laughs> His RCA album is Aerial Ballet. It's a total trip. Get on it. How many cigarettes did that guy smoke? It's a total trip. His, vocal, his vocal cords are ready to go. <laughs> his name is Nielsen. The album. I can't even do it because I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't it, either. He, and it's just, the album is. And you can, I can't. Uh, can't get that low. You can't. Get, it's like the, the like, it's grunty, like gravelly. Yeah, it's not necessarily <sighs> the pitch. Yeah. It's the graveliness. Like, um, you know, the guy. Who played Baloo in the Jungle Book? <laughs> he was a popular musician in the '60s, in the '50s, and uh, he smoked. I can't remember his name. No way. He actually had that song. He actually came up with a song that was called "Smoke, Smoke Another Cigarette," uh, and it actually they say that his style of vocals uh, was an influencer in hip hop, which is actually kind of funny because obviously it's not. I mean, it's not a. Uh, it doesn't sound. Did it influence like DMX with uh, his dog barks? No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, or or uh, or Birdman with. The... <laughs> yeah, where's the? Uh, I can't remember his name. Who was the guy that played Baloo in Jungle Book? It's like a Jim something. Jungle. Google. This, this is really this. entertaining radio. Jungle Book. Bill Harris. Can't play that because that's owned by the mouse. Uh, hold on. <laughs> Bill Harris uh, goes to Louis Prima. Okay, so then we got to go to Bill Harris. And you can, I mean, you can just hear, like, the way that he sings, it's, uh... Well, oh, wow. lady, let me elucidate He also tries to sound black. Everybody wants to be a cat. Wow. Who knows words He yeah, he sounds like he's African American. He is everything else is obsolete. A square with a horn makes you wish you weren't born. Every time he plays. But with a square in the act, you Okay. No, but there's like ah, there's that song of his that's just called Smoke, Smoke Another Cigarette. And I don't know what that's on, because all I see is this Disney crap. Anyway, okay. I think that's all we've got for this week. So uh, let's pray to God that the automation track recorded properly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael, do you approve of this week's pull request? I do. Uh, Wayne, how about you? Yeah, I gotta finish this three day weekend. Uh, it's great. And our wonderful studio audience, how about you guys? Great. Well, then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you next week, hopefully, right here on Hover Quest. 
This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Volpec. Visit them at V-U-L-F-P-E-C-K dot